If you'll join me in Bible study tonight, we're in Galatians chapter 2, picking up at verse 17. And the first thing we'll do is read verses 17 through 20, because they are a block of text, as far as I am concerned. So Galatians chapter 2, beginning in verse 17, and here we go. It says, but if, while we seek to be justified by Messiah, what does it mean to be justified? To be saved, to be found righteous, to be acceptable in the sight and presence of God. If we seek to be justified by Messiah, what does that mean by Messiah? It means by faith. By faith. By faith, yeah. We ourselves also are found sinners. Is Messiah therefore a minister of sin? Let me make sure before we read the answer, which is Mejanoito. Certainly not. God forbid. What does it mean? It says, if we claim to be saved by faith, and we are walking in sin, are we saying that Messiah is a minister of sin? Messiah wants us to walk in sin? The answer is, no way. Certainly not. Mejanoito is as strong a statement as Paul can make. To say, don't even think and consider the possibility. So this verse alone says, if you believe you are saved by faith, and you are walking in sin, you are misled. You've been led away by false teachers, or somehow your doctrine has gotten corrupted. Which means what? Do you believe there's a God in heaven? How many you believe that? Do you really believe it? He said, the wages of sin is death. He said, if you will not repent, I will cast you in the lake of fire that burns forever and ever. If you believe that, why would you want to walk in sin? Is it because you don't think he'll do what he said? If so, then you don't have faith. What does faith mean? What does believe mean? It comes from Genesis chapter 15, verse 6. The verb is amen. It's where we get the word amen. It means that God said it, therefore we believe he will do it. So he says, certainly not. For, he says, let me explain why I say that. If I build again those things which I destroyed, that is, if I continue in my sin, I wanted my sin washed away by my faith in Messiah. That's why I repented. That's why I was baptized. That's why I confessed my faith. If I build again those things which I destroyed, I make myself a transgressor. Transgressor means to transgress what? The law, the Torah. Verse 19, for I through the law, through the Torah, died to the law, that I might live to God. People go, wait a minute, that's confusing. For I through the law, died to the law, that I might live to God. The Torah's purpose is to bring us to God, to bring us to faith. It can't bring us to salvation, but it can show us the need for salvation. It can show us that we're sinners. How many people repent if they don't think they're a sinner? They wouldn't repent. You've got to know you've done wrong. 
I've told you that you're tired of hearing it. When I grew up in the traditional church, I would ask the pastor, what is sin? And the answer was always, it means to miss the mark. Now go away, little boy. I had no idea what I wasn't supposed to do. And when I got old enough to study the scripture for myself, would you believe I had broken some of those commandments that I didn't know were out there? How many of you are in the same boat? That you'd be reading through the scriptures one night and go, I'm not supposed to do what? But I've been doing that all my life. Then what do you do? Repent. When you find you have been violating the commandments, statutes, and judgments of God, repent and ask to be washed clean in Messiah's shed blood. And he will forgive you. But that's what it means. I, through the law, died to the law. The law anticipates and wants us to come to Messiah, to come to faith, to repent of our sins, to turn away from, put them behind us. And verse 20 says, I have been crucified with Messiah. How were we crucified with Messiah? In baptism, when you go under the water, it's symbolic of being buried with Messiah at the crucifixion. And then when you're raised out of the water, it's raised to new life just as he was raised out of the tomb, never more to die. And through his death, burial, and resurrection, we too can have eternal life. That's what it means in verse 20. I've been crucified with Messiah. It is no longer I who live, but Messiah lives in me. By that he means the Holy Spirit lives in me. If the Holy Spirit lives in me and guides my steps, is the Holy Spirit going to guide me into sin? Or is he going to guide me away from sin? Or do I not let him lead at all? Do I tell him I'll do what I want? Just hush. Does the Holy Spirit force me to walk uprightly if I don't want to? I would say that if you're walking in sin unrepentantly, you don't have the Holy Spirit, that you've been misled somehow. Says, so in life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So Paul's trying to get across to the Galatians. I'm not telling you that it's wrong to keep God's commandments. That's not what I'm telling you. What I'm telling you is it's wrong to believe that works will ever save you. Salvation is by faith. What is the evidence that we have been saved? Our actions, right? Our works. Do we keep the commandments or not? Tell me again, I forget. Well, not really, but I'll pretend. <laughs> Where in the scripture does it say, Abram believed God and God accounted him for righteousness? Genesis 15, 6. Now turn to Genesis chapter 22. Math majors, which comes first? 15. Genesis 15 comes before Genesis 22. Have you ever considered the words in Genesis 22? Which is the binding of Isaac, the Akita. The binding of Isaac. Verse 12. And he said, do not lay your hand on the ladder, do anything to him, for now I know that you fear God. Have you ever seen that before? For now 
I know? Didn't God know back in Genesis chapter 15 that Abraham believed God and the Lord account him for righteousness? Of course. So what's the significance of now I know? What did Abraham do to prove his faith? He obeyed God. He did that which God commanded. Well, he did the same thing that the Heavenly Father did, which was they both were willing to give up their son to death. For yeah. So in Genesis 15, Abraham is saved by faith. In Genesis 22, God says, Now I know. He has demonstrated through his actions that his faith was not mere words, but his faith was absolutely real. Let's go to Romans chapter 6. Do I think it was affirmation Abraham 2? Absolutely. Right. No room for doubt. Abraham, like you said, knew from that point on too that his faith was absolutely real. And then it's in Genesis 26 where God says to Isaac that your father Abraham demonstrated his faith by what? Keeping my commandments, statutes, and judgments, my Torah. So go to Romans chapter 6 where Paul teaches the same thing as Galatians chapter 2 verses 17 to 20 just to a different group. Romans chapter 6, you're so familiar with these words. One of these days, we'll put them on a t-shirt. Paul's making the same point in verse 1. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Why does that question even arise? Is because for five chapters, Paul has been saying you're not saved by keeping commandments. Which he anticipates then the question. Remember, it's a letter. He's not there. He's not talking to people. When I talk to you, I can see your faces. I can see, have I confused you? Have I lost you? Are you agreeing? Or you don't like what I'm saying at all. But in a letter, you have to anticipate what people are going to do. So he anticipates they're going to say, well, Paul, if we're not saved by keeping commandments, then maybe we ought to not. Maybe we ought to just go out and rob the local temples. Wouldn't that be fun? So the answer is, certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? If you truly understood being buried with Messiah in baptism... That your sin cost Messiah his very life. Why would you ever want to sin again? Why would you want to? Look what it costs. Our beloved Messiah and Savior. It cost him his very life. So what is it then if we say. Well cool. Now I can go sin all I want. What does that say about the cheapness. Of his sacrifice. But you know that. What you're talking about is so much like what Mark believes is that you get saved, you were baptized as a child and now you can do whatever you want to because he can remember back when he got baptized, it's all there. Right, so let's keep reading Romans 6 and see what Paul says about that because he addresses that head on. 
Verse 2, certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized in the Messiah Yeshua were baptized into his death? That's the significance of going under the water. Under the water you can't breathe. Symbolically your life is taken away. Therefore we were buried with him through baptism into death that just as Messiah was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father even so we should what? Walk in newness of life. Does that mean our old sinful ways? No. It means in newness of life. Put the sin away from us. How did Paul put in Ephesians 4.17? Stop walking like the rest of the Gentiles walk. Does that mean... Well, let me not make silly jokes. Okay. Verse 4. Verse 5. For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. Was he resurrected in sin or in righteousness? Righteousness. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him. That doesn't mean our father. Doesn't mean your husband, you ladies. It means our old nature, our sinful nature, was crucified with him that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. A slave must obey. Before we got saved, we had to obey sin. We really didn't have a choice. But once we got saved, we no longer have to obey sin. Verse 7 says, For he who has died has been freed from sin. How many people read that and say, For he who has died has been freed from the law? But that's not what it says. It's just the opposite. Now if we died with Messiah, we believe that we shall also live with him. Knowing that Messiah, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. If we're to be like Messiah then, what should we do? We should have, we should have died to sin and then live to God. So should we be on that broad path leading to destruction or that narrow path leading to life? Let's keep reading. Verse 12 says, Therefore... Did I miss 11? Likewise you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Messiah Yeshua our Lord. Therefore, because of this, because this is true, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it in its lusts. And do not present your members, which means the parts of your body, as instruments of unrighteousness to sin. But present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. And right there the Christian theologians go, oh good, forget the rest of everything Paul said. We don't have to follow the law anymore. Is that what that verse means? No, that verse means 
For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not trying to earn your salvation through works of the law, but your salvation is by faith through grace. And he asks, what then? Shall we sin because we're not under law but under grace? If the, if the keeping of commandments is not going to save us, Paul says, then should we just go on and sin? His answer, Mejinoito again, certainly not. God forbid, no way, Jose. And then he starts to explain why. Do you not know, oh, did he call us ignorant again? <laughs> Do you not know that to whom you present yourselves slaves or servants to obey? You are that one slave or servant whom you obey. Whether of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness. Paul's writing to believers. They have made a confession of faith. They have been baptized. They consider themselves saved and on the road to heaven. And Paul says, if you are still a slave to sin, you're on the way to death, not to life. But if you're a slave of obedience, obedience is what? Keeping the commandments of God, being righteous, being upright. Then what path do you on? The one leading to righteousness. But God be thanked that though you were slaves of sin, that is before you got saved, yet you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine to which you were delivered. And having been set free from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. That's what Paul's trying to tell the Galatians here. And yet, most theologians take a look at Galatians and say, Paul says, don't keep the commandments. That you need to walk in sin. That's just the opposite of what he said. So let's go back to Galatians chapter 2, to verse 21. He says, I do not set aside the grace of God. For if righteousness comes through the law... The Messiah died in vain, meaning he died for nothing. If we're saved by works of the law, the Messiah didn't need to die. But notice that there's a big if there, and the if fails. Righteousness does not come from works of the law. Righteousness comes from faith. The works of the law are our evidences that our faith is real. Give me two verses. In 1 John. In chapter 2. Oh, the question is. Okay. Just turn to 1 John chapter 2. John is not Paul. Everybody go, well, duh. <laughs> but he tells us the same thing that Paul does. 1 John 2, verses 3 and 4. Now by this we know that we know him. According to John 17, 3, what does it mean to know him? It means to have eternal life. So this is the test. Do you have eternal life or don't you? From the Bible's own pages. 
Now by this we know that we know him if we keep his commandments. He says, I know him and does not keep his commandments as a liar and the truth is not in him. Does keeping commandments save us? No. Does keeping commandments demonstrate our faith? Yes. yes. Yep. Yep. Always when you make comments, make sure they're good and loud so that Melanie in the back can hear them. Because she didn't hear that one. You want to say it again? When we step off the path. When we step off the path. It should really grieve our spirit. It should really grieve our spirit. Yeah. It's when you can step off the path and feel good about yourself that you need to worry. So back to verse 21 of Galatians chapter 2. Paul's point is this. There is no return to salvation by works of the law. And that's the situation in Galatia. Paul has taught salvation by faith. The people made confessions of faith. They got baptized. They got filled with the Holy Spirit. They're living for the Lord. And then here comes false teachers to say, wait a minute, Paul was wrong. Salvation is by circumcision. So you've got to go get circumcised. And then we can talk about maybe how to get you saved. Paul says, uh-uh, don't think for a moment. That you can turn away from salvation by faith and go back and earn righteousness through your personal works. Does not work, never will. Psalm 119 verse 142 says what? Yep, Torah is truth, but actually I want the first half of the verse this time. That's the part. Psalm 119 verse 142. Your righteousness is an everlasting righteousness. It never changes. It never has. It never will. How is Abraham saved? By faith. That's in Genesis 15. It's never changed. And your Torah is truth. Yes, but my point for coming here was this. God's righteousness never changes. Once God established that salvation is by faith, will he then come 430 years later and say, I changed my mind. I want you to earn it. And then go a thousand years forward and say, no, but change my mind again. Now I want it to be salvation by faith for a little while. No. God does not do that. He does not flip-flop. Well, you're in the Old Testament. Go to Isaiah 42. Of course you can ask a question. Let me go back there to Psalm 119 to verse which one? 145. Above that you see the letter Koph. That's the Hebrew letter. And then they transliterate it into English letters to know you know it's Koph. If you start at Psalm 119 verse 1, it starts with Aleph, which is the first letter of the Hebrew alphabet. And then eight verses later, there's a bait, which is the second letter. So this Psalm 119 is an acrostic psalm. And it means every verse from 145 to 152 begins with the Hebrew letter Koph. 
And then from 153 to 160, every verse begins with the Hebrew letter Resh. So that's what those are. You're welcome. Now to Isaiah 42. Yes, Rachel. If, uh, if, if God the Father... If God the Father... If God the Father broke that covenant with Abraham... If he broke that covenant with Abraham... Psalm 89, uh, Psalm 89 verse 34, which says, My covenant I will not break, nor alter the words gone out of my lips. God would be a liar, wouldn't he? Yes, sir. And God does not lie. That's right. You're absolutely right. Isaiah 42, verse 21. The Lord is well pleased for his righteousness sake. He will exalt the law and make it honorable. What verse 21 tells us is that righteousness and the law are not in opposition. One gains righteousness through faith. And then the law is consistent with that faith. And is evidence of it. So what happened? The answer is Daniel chapter 7 verse 25. No, no I was not going to blame it on you. But Daniel chapter 7, go to Daniel chapter 7. That's cute. I used to say that in the New Testament, all the T's are in order. Timothy, Titus, etc. And they're in alphabetical order. I used to say, as Matthew says. And one day somebody put up Anna and said, where in the book of Matthew is that? I can't find it. But it was Matthew back there, not the book of Matthew. Okay, I should be more clear. any rate, Daniel chapter 7, verse 25, is about the false Messiah or Antichrist. It says, he shall speak pompous words against the Most High, shall persecute the saints of the Most High, and shall intend to or try to change times, that's the appointed times of the Lord, the Moedim, and the law that is the Torah. So the Antichrist, false messiah, beast of Revelation 13, whichever term you prefer, works for Satan. And Satan has been trying from the Garden of Eden to get people to stop following God's commandments. What's that? That is the mystery of lawlessness. That is already at work. Give me a verse. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, which by the way, the T's in the New Testament are all in alphabetical order, all together. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 verse 7, for the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. He's been at work since the Garden of Eden, trying to get people to disregard God's commandments. Because Deuteronomy 8.11 says, if you disregard God's commandments, you have what? Forgotten God. Remember that? No. Then let's go look. Deuteronomy, whoop, wait. Second Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 7. 
Yeah, for the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 11. If you've never seen it, God tells us that if you do not keep his commandments, it is because you have forgotten him. I have a red one out here. Let's see. She's not hearing anything commented by the people. I will try and do a better job of repeating things then. 1 John 4 speaks about the spirit of Antichrist also. You are correct. Which says it's already at work. That's right. So there will be an Antichrist, false messiah or beast of Revelation 13, that will present himself to the world right after the rapture. But that spirit has been with us since the Garden of Eden. Trying to get people to turn away from God. Deuteronomy 8.11. You think that's the hard part that people have with that because? It's spiritual. It's spiritual. And they're looking for the man. And they're looking for the man. They're looking for something physical. And that's often where Messiah was misunderstood. He would say something spiritual and they would be looking for something physical. So Deuteronomy 8.11. Beware that you do not forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments, his judgments, and his statutes, which I command you today. So if you do not keep God's commandments, statutes, and judgments, he says, you have forgotten me. That is, you do not have faith in me. So let's make sure we have that rectified by Monday, just in case. Back to Galatians. We're still on verse 21. So we need to look at Isaiah chapter 51, verse 7. I want you to go to Isaiah chapter 51, verse 7. It's still about Galatians 2.21. We're still commenting on Galatians 2.21 by looking at Isaiah chapter 51, verse 7. Says, listen to me, you who know righteousness. It's about to tell us now who knows righteousness. You people in whose heart is my Torah, my law. If you know righteousness, then you have the Torah, the commandments, statutes, and judgments of God in your heart. Isn't that something? Romans chapter 4, verse 13. Romans chapter 4, we'll be back to Isaiah. Your Bible by now should just open to Isaiah when you drop it. Romans chapter 4, verse 13. Romans chapter 4, verse 13. For the promise that he would be the heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. 
God never said, Abraham, I will make you heir of the world if you do the following 42,000 things. <laughs> Perfectly. Without a hiccup. That would not be grace. That's right. And he says, and I think that's the point Paul's trying to get across, and I agree with you 100%. Guess how he said it? I do not set aside the grace of God. Salvation by faith is only by the grace of God. He never owes us anything. He gives us such great bounty, even though we don't deserve it, simply because we put our faith in him. Hebrews chapter 1 verse 9. And then we'll go on to Galatians chapter 3. And Daniel will turn out to be right again. We will have finished chapter 2. <laughs> Hebrews chapter 1 verse 9. Hebrews chapter 1 verse 9. Quotes from Isaiah. Does it tell us not to read Isaiah? No, it quotes from Isaiah. And it says, let's start in verse 8. To the Son, that is to our Messiah, He, God says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. So did God call Messiah God? Yes, He did. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. This is God describing Messiah. You have loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. Therefore God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness more than your companions. If God pours out the extra anointing on our Messiah Yeshua because he loves righteousness and hates lawlessness, then what should our attitude be? We should imitate Messiah. Where does it say that? All throughout Scripture. First Corinthians 11, 1 is one place. First John chapter 2, verse 6. You're right, you could point to many different Scriptures. This reads an awful lot like Isaiah chapter 11. Yes, it does. His delight is to keep Torah, talking about Messiah. Notice it's from Isaiah 61. What did Messiah read in Luke chapter 4, right after his battle with Satan, was Isaiah 61. So this was written by Isaiah 700 years before Messiah was born. And this tells us that Messiah is going to defeat Satan after the, what should we call it? The 40-day fasting in the wilderness followed by the testing? Yes. So God already knew the outcome. And why did Messiah prevail? Because he loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. What's another term for lawlessness that kind of interrelates Hebrew and English together into one mushed up word? Torahlessness. Torahlessness. 
And notice righteousness and lawlessness are opposites. Lawlessness is living in sin, breaking the commandments of God. Sin is lawlessness. That's what verse? First John chapter 3, verse 4. Sin is lawlessness. So you cannot tell God, I am walking in righteousness while breaking your commandments. That's inconsistent. It's an oxymoron. And no, I didn't call you a moron. So it's an oxymoron. That's different. So let's go back to Galatians chapter 3. Oh, Paul, you didn't, did you? Yeah. Oh, foolish Galatians. He's not giving him any slack, is he? What is a fool? Fool when it says there is no God. So when Paul calls them foolish, he's saying, you're acting as if you have no faith, as if you don't even believe in God. Oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you that you should not obey the truth before whose eyes Yeshua the Messiah was clearly portrayed among you as crucified. How was Messiah clearly portrayed among them as crucified? Paul told them. Paul explained it. Paul preached in Acts chapter 9. As I was going to persecute the believers, I met the risen Lord. Let me tell you what happened. So he has presented them through his own stories and relations of what happened to him. So he says, who has bewitched you that you should not obey the truth? Truth is the Torah. Truth is the word of God. Truth is Messiah. They all agree. Were the commandments of God given to us for salvation? No. They were given to us as what? What does the word Torah really mean? Instruction in righteousness. Does that sound like words Paul used in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17? Let's go look. Even though you guys know it. There's somebody out there in go to meeting land going, hey, I never saw that. Go to 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. All scripture, or every scripture is given by inspiration of God. Does anybody even know what that means? That just obscures the Greek, which is God-breathed. But what does God-breathed mean? It means it came out of his lips. Matthew 4, 4, Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God, right? So every scripture is God-breathed, theonuptos in Greek. And is profitable for. What's profitable for mean? It's good for. It's useful for. What? Doctrine. For reproof. For correction. For instruction in righteousness. Yes, ma'am. The New Testament had not been written yet when Paul wrote these words. So he's talking about the Old Testament. You're absolutely correct. So every commandment that came through the lips of God came in the Old Testament. But Messiah said, I give you a new commandment to love one another. 
That's in the Old Testament. Oh, that word new means renewed, meaning why don't you actually try it? Just like the renewed covenant. Why don't you actually give it a try? But, but, but in chapter 3, verse 2. But in chapter 3, verse 2 of? Galatians or Timothy? Galatians. Oh, we haven't gotten to verse 2 yet, but go ahead. I must have read ahead. You must have read ahead because we're still on verse 1. You slow <laughs> I'm, I'm so sorry. I'll with my question and I'll ask it. All right, all right. We will get there eventually. Maybe not tonight, but we'll get there eventually. Sorry. Okay, so we're still in Galatians 3.1. Clearly. See that word clearly? Paul's saying, I know I did a better job than that of explaining the gospel message. He clearly explained Yeshua was crucified for our sins. But if he didn't have the Gospels to prove it from, what did he use to prove that the prophets of old had said Messiah would die for our sins? You say Torah, Isaiah, Daniel. Be more specific. Psalm 22 says he's going to be pierced. Isaiah 53 says he's going to die for our sins, not his own. So does Daniel chapter 9. It would have been the same thing that Messiah on the road to Emmaus. It would have been the same thing the Messiah on the road to Emmaus would have explained to the two disciples who were on the way to Emmaus going, gee, I thought Yeshua was the Messiah, but I guess I was wrong. Oh, who's this guy traveling with us? Where did he come from? And yes, he explained from the scriptures. And that's exactly what Paul told Timothy. Two verses before what we read from a minute ago. Those scriptures that you have known from childhood, which would have been only the Old Testament, the Tanakh, are able to make you wise for salvation because they teach Messiah's death, burial, and resurrection to be our Messiah. Not just atonement, but what? Our redemption. What is between atonement and redemption? Atonement covers over the sin, redemption takes it away, it pays the debt. Behold the Lamb of God God who takes away the sins of the world. world. You know the Jewish audience who heard that, their chins would hit the floor. Lambs cover over sin. What do you mean? The Lamb that takes away the sins of the world. But Messiah didn't just cover them over, did he? He took them over because he was the Redeemer. The Redeemer is the one who pays the debt that we owe, that we cannot pay. What are the requirements for a redeemer? Must be a near kinsman, the nearest kinsman who has the ability and willingness to pay the debt we can't pay for ourselves. Is there anyone nearer to us than Messiah who could pay the debt we owe God? No one. And that's why it's so important that in Jesus' bloodline there were Gentiles. Because he's my nearest kinsman. I'm Gentile. Yeah, I don't know whether 
that makes any difference or not. It does to me. <laughs> but it, it does to you. Yes. Messiah has Jews and Gentiles in his heritage. Yes, he does. Was Abraham a Jew or a Gentile? Gentile. Gentile, sure. So, many, many. Now let's get to verse 2. This only I want to learn from you. Did you receive the Spirit? What Spirit? Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. By the works of the law or by the hearing of faith. So Paul says, remember, when I preached to you and you responded in faith, repented and confessed your sins, you were baptized and filled with the Holy Spirit. Did that come from keeping commandments? Or did that come from the hearing of faith? Now your question is, what are the works of the law? What are the works of the law? The Galatians here are being told by Pharisees that have come from Jerusalem that, that salvation is by circumcision. According to the custom of Moses. Not according to the law of Moses, because it's not the law of Moses. It's the man-made traditions. So they're saying, unless you become a Jew and follow our man-made customs and rules, you can't be saved. It's confusing because in Greek... It is confusing because in Greek... You do not know if he's talking about the Torah or if he's talking about the law of men. You don't know if he's talking about the Torah or the law of men, but of course in context, it is clear. Yeah, but again... Throughout yep. the scripture, the New Testament. Throughout the scriptures, the New Testament, the Greek is not as specific as some people think it is. I so often that I'm not under the law. Uh, I have, the, how about the law of sin and death? I have the, the, the law of liberty, the law of sin and death, the law of this, the law of that. Nomos or something, and it just it's confusing. It gets confusing. Because you, you, you want one word to mean one thing. Because you want one word to mean one thing. Oh, Bible study would be so much simpler if every word had one specific meaning and one only. But when he says here the works of the law, he's talking about keeping commandments. Right. For the sake of keeping them. Keeping them because, not, not because we're supposed to, but because, Keep them not because we're supposed to, but because, because we're seeking for them to be the, the salvation. We're seeking yes. salvation through them, and that's the error Paul's addressing. And what Christian theologians have misunderstood, they think then Paul's saying, don't keep commandments. And Paul's not saying, don't keep the commandments. He's saying, don't think you earn salvation through the keeping of the commandments. And May I point out another really weird... He says, may I point out another really weird... Sounding scripture pair that we have already... Just sounding scripture pair that we just covered. In Galatians 2.21... In Galatians 2.21... He says, if righteousness comes through the law... If righteousness comes through the law... Then Messiah died in vain. Then Messiah died in vain. But in Romans 6.18... But in Romans 6.18... Having been set free from sin, having been set free from sin, you became servants of righteousness. You became servants of righteousness. It's like, like he's saying the exact opposite thing in those two scriptures, and he's not. And he's not. I, I left that apart. It sounds like he's saying opposite things, but he's not. And that's true a lot of places in Romans, especially. 
it looks like in one place he says A, and in the other he says not A. Right. But he's not saying that once you understand it. I mean, he says in Romans 3.31, does our faith make the law empty or void? Certainly not. And then seven chapters later, he says, Messiah is the end of the law. And if you don't understand how to harmonize those two, sounds like he's saying two different things. But he's not. You really think if you were saying it in Hebrew, it would be much clearer? I don't think there would be any con contest in the scriptures. You don't think there'd be any contest in the scriptures? When they put it in Greek. When they put it in Greek. I think they did that on purpose to give a conflict. <clears throat> he thinks they did that on purpose to make an intentional conflict. I have to agree with you. And, and that would be a work of the. Evil. And that would be a work of the evil one. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense what he's saying because because all I have is the English. Because all you have is the English translation. Which is King James, did you say? Yes, sir. Oh, okay. Okay. And I also have New King James. You also have New King James. But you've fixed some things in your King James, I'm sure. Okay. Yeah, oh yeah. Every time. Okay. But but it's just the idea that most, it's just the idea that most, most of, us of us see the English word law. See the English, I, I know. You see so the English word law and you assume. Then you have to depend on somebody who's well read and studied to be able to, to, be able to harmonize and give us understanding. That's true. So let's get back to gaining that understanding. That's why we're here. That's why we're here. I understand. That's why we study together. The Christian church lives on the statement that the New Testament was written in Greek. And it was not. And we have plenty of attestation from the first century on that it was not. What is the word attestation? People Testified. giving testimony. Um, there's a lot of Christian doctrines that fall flat if the New Testament was written in Hebrew, which it was. But that's neither here nor there. Let's comment now on verse 2. Go to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. No one ever was filled with the Holy Spirit because they kept enough commandments to gain an A-plus rating. Doesn't happen. Romans chapter 8, verses 9 to 17. Romans chapter 8, verses 9 to 17. That brings up a question. So? That brings up a question, so. <laughs> Some of the Old I'll just call them Old Testament saints. Some of the Old Testament saints, okay. Um, God says this was a righteous person. <coughs> God says this was a righteous person. Uh, you know, uh, Zechariah. Zechariah and Elizabeth, the parents of, of John the Baptist, were righteous in the eyes of God so because of their faith. Is, is it the faith that defines that? Yeah, their faith caused them to keep God's commandments. I mean, it, it sort of begs, to me, begs the question. To you, it sort of begs the question. They're almost like, did, did they keep most? I mean, I know they tried to keep all the commandments. Did they keep most of the commandments? They tried to keep all the commandments? You know, 
The scripture says they kept them blamelessly. But then it also says we've all come short of the glory of God. So obviously they fell down somewhere. But like David, whom God calls a man after my own heart, he committed a grave sin. And then what did he do? He repented. And when he repented, God forgave him. So I would say what the Luke, book of Luke is trying to tell us is that Zachariah and Elizabeth did their best to live up to God's requirements and repented when they fell short because of the faith they had in God. But that's a good question. Okay. Romans 8, we're at verses 9 to 17. But you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if. That means, are you being led by your sinful nature, or are you being led by the Holy Spirit? If indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. Notice the word if. Now if anyone does not have the Spirit of Messiah, he is not his. Oh, that raises an interesting point. The Holy Spirit is referred to three times in this verse, but three different ways. In the Spirit, in the Spirit of God, in the Spirit of Messiah. Are those three separate Holy Spirits? No, that's just three ways to describe the Holy Spirit. So let me go ahead and do this now. In the King James Version, the word for spirit, referring to the Holy Spirit, appears 111 times. 89 times in the King James, it's the Holy Ghost, which the New King James would fix to the Holy Spirit, but we know it's the same thing. That's just the way they translated the word. 89 times as Holy Spirit. 13 times as the Spirit of God. Five times as the Spirit of the Lord. Three times as the Spirit of Truth. And two times as the Spirit of Messiah. And there are many others. A total of 385. So Spirit 111 times. Holy Spirit or Holy Ghost 89 times. Spirit of God 13 times. Spirit of the Lord 5 times. Spirit of Truth, three times. Spirit of Messiah, two times. And many others for a total of 385 times. For the King James Bible. Three times with Spirit of Truth. And of course, that's all in the New Testament because that's using the same Greek word. Same Greek word. So my point is this. If you look in the Blue Letter Bible's lexicon, it tells you that this word spirit refers to a separate person, co-equal and coexistent with God in Christ. That it cannot be the spirit of God. It's got to be an individual person because they're trying to defend the, the doctrine of the Trinity. But why would the Holy Spirit be called the Spirit of God and the Spirit of Messiah and the Spirit of the Lord 
if it's a separate being, one of three standing around a campfire. Does that make sense? And one of the key verses that I then would have taken us to in commenting on verse 14 is Romans 8, 9. Where in the one verse it refers to the Holy Spirit as simply the Spirit and the Spirit of God and the Spirit of Messiah. Verse 10, anyway. And if Messiah is in you, now the Holy Spirit is equal to Messiah being in you. If the Holy Spirit is in you, Messiah is in you. And if Messiah is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. So meaning when you were baptized, you died to sin, but you were raised to righteousness. But if the spirit of him who raised Yeshua from the dead dwells in you, again, we're talking about the Holy Spirit now is the spirit of him who raised Yeshua from the dead. He who raised Messiah from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit which dwells in you. Talking about eternal life, of course. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh, which means stop sinning. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. Is Paul writing to believers or non-believers? Believers Believers said if you live a life of sin, you will die. But if the Spirit, but if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, that is, you put aside your sinful past, repent and turn from it, you will live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. Again, the Holy Spirit now is being called the Spirit of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you receive the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. Abba is not Hebrew. What is Abba? Aramaic. Abba is Daddy. Ab is Father. So they use the Aramaic here, Abba. It's a more endearing term. Probably. Abba is an adopted word into Hebrew because they didn't have a word for daddy. And they liked that intimate connection. So once again, is there a Greek word for Abba? No, right? So it was originally... Yeah, they're transliterating instead of translating. (laughs) Yes, ma'am? It says here... It says here... In 11, the spirit of him who raised Yeshua from the dead. So that's the spirit of God. They are trying to get across to us that they are all one and the same. The spirit himself. It's the Holy Spirit. And they are all one and the same. That's why they're using the phrase, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Messiah, the Spirit of God, the Spirit of Him who raised Yeshua from the dead. They're trying to get us to understand that it's all one and the same. 
In one verse he says, if the Holy Spirit lives in you. In the next he says, if Messiah lives in you. How does Messiah live in you? Through the Holy Spirit. Verse 16, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Not just children, but what do we see in verse 15? Adopted children. Adopted children had a special status. The first thing you had to know about adoption in the Old Testament is you cannot unadopt. Adoption is permanent. And an adopted child has the status of a firstborn child with all those rights and benefits. Is there a scripture for that? That's more commentary on what it was, what it meant. Think of the scripture in Genesis where Jacob adopts the two sons of Joseph, Ephraim and Manasseh. Do you remember? And they became sons just like his own natural begotten sons, except they got a double portion. Who gets a double portion? The firstborn. So by getting a double portion, they were treated as the firstborn. That's going to be back in Genesis So did that book get his firstborn? Did that what? Did that book get his firstborn? Yes, and that's yes. The firstborn lost the status as firstborn because of his sin. That's in Genesis 48. So that's where we're going now? We're going back to Genesis to find the adoption. Genesis chapter 48, verse 5. Thank you. And now your two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh, who were born to you in the land of Egypt before I came to you in Egypt, are mine. As Reuben and Simeon, they shall be mine. Reuben and Simeon were the firstborn sons. So they're given the very same status as the firstborn sons. But then we learn in chapter 49 that the firstborn sons, Reuben and Simeon, lost their position. If you go to chapter 49, talking about Reuben, the firstborn. Reuben means see a son. Verse 4 says, unstable as water, you shall not excel. Because you went up to your father's bed, then you defiled it. He went and had sex with his father's wife. And that lost his status as the firstborn. And then in verse 5, Simeon and Levi, they were next in line to be the considered the firstborn and received those blessings. But it says, instruments of cruelty are in their dwelling place. Let my counsel not enter their, let not my soul enter their counsel. Let not my honor be united to their assembly. For in their anger they slew a man. And in their self-will they hamstrung an ox. Cursed be their anger for it's fierce. And their wrath for it is cruel. I will divide them in Jacob and scatter them in Israel. That's why Messiah comes from Judah, not from Reuben, Simeon, or Levi. They all lost that position of honor. Okay, going back to commenting on Galatians chapter 3 verse 2, we must go to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. I'm trying to do better about repeating the comments. 
First Corinthians chapter three. You were thinking what? I said it helps. Thank you. It helps. Thank you. Okay. I guess I need to repeat that, but okay. First Corinthians chapter three, verses sixteen and seventeen. Do you not know? Again, there's Paul calling people dumb. Do you not know that you are the temple of God, and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? God in heaven is a spirit. If the spirit of God dwells in you. If anyone defiles the temple of God, God will destroy him. For the temple of God is holy. Which temple you are. And that word defile is an interesting word. What does it mean? To corrupt. To corrupt. While you're in 1 Corinthians, go to chapter 6, verses 19 to 20. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19 to 20. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? Wait a minute, I thought he just said... That in our body dwells the Spirit of God. Is it the Spirit of God or the Holy Spirit? Yes, one and the same. Who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own. My body, my choice, this says no. God's body, his choice. For, because you were bought at a price. Therefore glorify God in your body. And in your spirit, which are God's. One of these days, he's going to want them back. And I know he's going to look at me and go, what did you do to that thing? <laughs> Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10, verse 17. So then faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Faith doesn't come by keeping commandments. It comes from hearing the word of God. What God has done for us. If we believe what God has done for us, how can we not love him? How can we not honor him and obey him? What did God do for you? Everything. Absolutely everything. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. Verse 13. First Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13. For this reason, we also thank God without ceasing, because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you welcomed it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which also effectively works in you who believe 
who believe. So Paul's not saying, hey, it was my wonderful preaching that got you saved. <laughs> he says, the word of God acted in your soul and in your heart to bring you to faith. Back to Galatians chapter 3. Verse 3. Are you so foolish? Mm -hmm. Meaning, yeah, Paul's just rebuked him really strongly. He says, yeah, wait, maybe I was too strong. Maybe you're not really that foolish. Are you so foolish? Having begun in the spirit, are you now being made perfect by the flesh? He said, wait, 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 wait. Are you thinking that? Well, I got somewhat saved by faith. But now I have to get the rest of the way saved. I just have to help God save me. If he was just a little stronger, I wouldn't have to help so much. Can we help God save us? No. Salvation is by the grace of God through his mercy because he loves us. He wants us to repent. He wants us to love him. He wants us to walk after him in faith. How many of you have grandchildren? Do you want them to sit in your lap and cuddle? Or to come spit at you as they run by? <laughs> they may do both, but which do you like better? <laughs> okay. So are you so foolish? Have you begun in the spirit? Are you now being made perfect, meeting mature by the flesh? Do you have to help God save us is the question. Let's go back to John chapter 3. John chapter 3. You feel like there's a fine line? Because when you start talking about works, God expects you to work. But then you look at the flip side of the coin. Works without faith is you trying to do it on your own. That's exactly right. When you keep the commandments of God because of your faith, you're not trying to help God save you. You're simply demonstrating that you really do believe. You feel like that's where people throw the baby out with the bathwater. That's exactly what has happened in many ministries. They're so afraid of an allegation of salvation by works that they throw out repentance. Yes, Bill? I can't do God's part. You can't do God's part. He won't do mine. He won't do yours. Amen. Yep, your job is to? Obey. Obey. Have faith. Yep. Have faith. John chapter 3. We're having to teach type rope walking. That's exactly what it is. It was, I forget the name of the famous old preacher from the 1800s that said, the church is so afraid of an allegation of salvation by works that they have thrown out repentance. And I, I agree, that's exactly what's happened. I get told all the time, Wayne, you keep Shabbat to earn your salvation. No, I do not. I keep Shabbat because I'm saved. 
It's obedience to his commandment. Why do I obey his commandment? Because I believe. What does Deuteronomy 8.11 say? Do not forget me by failing to keep my commandments. We have a covenant with him. It's called the new covenant. And in the new covenant, where's the law written? On our hearts, which means it's our desire to do it. So if those tremendous numbers of people out there who teach and believe that the law has been abolished, God says they have forgotten me. They say we love him with their whole heart. And he says, no, you don't. If you turn to Matthew, I'll try not to cry. We'll come back to John. Matthew 7. It really hurts every time I read Matthew 7. Maybe that's why I read it so often. In Matthew 7, the Lord is talking not about unbelievers. They're not in this chapter. He's talking about people who believe that they are believers. Who believe they are on the way to heaven. And in verses 13 and 14, he says the majority are on the road to destruction even though they think they're on the road to heaven. In verse 14, because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to life, and there are few who find it. And then he tells us it's because of the false prophets. But, verses 21 to 23 are where I want to focus. This is judgment day. These are real people standing before the Lord on judgment day, thinking they're going to hear, well done, my good and faithful servant. And instead they hear in verse 23, And then I'll declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Now I've heard preachers on YouTube read this verse. And in 1 John chapter 2, verses 3 and 4, and say, The law has been abolished, so this is not talking about God's commandments. This is saying if... If you don't obey the law of your local community, you speed through school zones. You don't stop at stop signs, you roll through them. He's going to throw you into the lake of fire. But when I finish reading the next couple of verses, therefore, Yes, so she says, continue reading the next couple verses. It's a song we teach to our kids. We sing it. We know it. It says, therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. Who's the rock? The rock is Messiah. And the rain descended and floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house and it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. It's not built on the rock. There is no other foundation than anyone can lay than that which is laid, which is Messiah Yeshua. That's 1 Corinthians chapter 3. So verse 27 says, And the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it fell, and great was its fall. There's a message out here that says the overwhelming majority believes that correctness only resides in the overwhelming majority. 
The overwhelming majority believes that correctness only resides in the overwhelming majority. I can't get past this reality with anyone when it comes to trying to explain why we are different and it's heartbreaking and I agree. So what this unnamed person is trying to say is exactly what Dr. Coleman told me at the First Baptist Church in Prattville. He says, Wayne, our doctrine, our Baptist doctrine has to be right because we're growing so fast and so large. He's saying, we're on the broad road. So if we're on the broad road, we have to be right. But what did Messiah say? It's the narrow road. The narrow road, yeah. That's what, I know, once people. the Lord showed me the Sabbath. Once the Lord showed you the Sabbath. This is the next scriptures he revealed to me. These are the next scriptures he revealed to you. Straight and narrow is the way. Yeah. Okay. We didn't do John 3, so let's get back to John 3. I'm easily misled, but, well, not that easily. Verse 3. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Where are you? John chapter 3, verse 6. Okay, but we're all getting to the right spot now. John chapter 3, verse 6. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. So when it says that which is born of the flesh, it's talking about sin. Sin is not an outgrowth of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit does not lead us into sin. Does not trick us into sin. Does not encourage us to go in sin. It leads us away from sin. If we will follow it. Romans chapter 8. I know I get the references wrong sometimes. Because I'm... I get too excited. Romans chapter 8, verses 7 and 8. Because the carnal mind is enmity, which means hatred against God. For it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can it be. So then those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Daniel's about to give me another verse that says, without faith it's impossible to please God. And that's all that it's saying here. Is that until you get saved, you will never walk in a way that pleases God. If you don't believe God exists, you will never please him. The carnal mind, the unregenerate mind, the unrepentant mind will never lead you into righteousness. It will always lead you into sin. He's going to piggyback what I said about repentance. Some clean animal. About some clean animal, okay. Right. He's going to ibex back on it, okay. All right, so in verse 8 of Romans 8, it says, 
In verse 8 of Romans 8 it says, Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. So the people that say repentance, you can't do repentance because that's works. You're still in the flesh. You're absolutely correct. Therefore, you cannot please God. Yes, there are whole ministries out there that say, if you repent, that means you have no faith. You don't believe that God will save you despite your sin. Therefore, you're lost. That would be a false teaching. That would be a false belief. Based on a false teaching. Galatians 5.17 So your thing is, you know how anybody can say that with a straight face, but they do and they believe it, unfortunately. They say you can please God by continuing your sin, and they're absolutely wrong. Because repentance is a work. Yep, that's what they say, and they're absolutely wrong. It's not what the Bible says, but what they say, and they're absolutely wrong. I agree with you, 100%. But I've heard that very same teaching. Repentance is a work. You're trying to be saved by works, so stop repenting. Livid sin, that's the only way to please God. That's not in the scripture anywhere. Galatians 5.17 For the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh, meaning they're at war with one another. And these are contrary to one another. So that you not do, do not do the things that you wish. If you give in to the flesh, you will Go off into sin. The flesh and the spirit are at war. You must follow the spirit. Which means you must study the word. I've had so many people say, I don't need to read my Bible. The Holy Spirit tells me everything I need to do. I cringe when I hear that. I've had preachers say, Wayne, I don't know the Bible well enough to refute what you're saying, but I know it's not true because the Holy Spirit tells me it's not true. You better check your spirit because it ain't the Holy Spirit. The Scripture says check the spirits, doesn't it? Because not every spirit is from God. Did we do Galatians 5.17? Yes, we did. 2 Corinthians 5 as we're running out of time. 2 Corinthians 5. We may literally be running out of time. Wouldn't that be cool? 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. Yeah, I always get suspicious too when the verses are the same yeah, for one reference to another. I know it's But 2 Corinthians 5, 17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Messiah, meaning saved, He is a new creation. Old things have passed away, which means stop living in sin. Behold, all things have become new. He's the same guy who said in Ephesians 4.17, stop walking like the rest of the Gentiles walk. Apparently he'd been too cryptic before, and he thought he'd just make it in plain English. What was that reference you just gave me? Ephesians 4.17. Yep, it was Ephesians 4.17. Let's go turn and look at it. 
Ephesians 4, 17. This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, Thank you. That you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk. In the futility, it's actually perverseness of their mind. Stop sinning. Verse 23. Continuing the same sentence, I think. At least the same paragraph. And be renewed in the spirit of your mind. And that you put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. Righteousness is the opposite of lawlessness. So put away the lawlessness and walk in righteousness. One more verse and then I'm out of time. That's from Hebrews chapter 12. You know, I've had people tell me, Wayne, I tried to listen to your Bible study and I just can't. Because you go all over the place and that just bothers me. (laughs) Seriously, but the reason I go all over the place is to show that the Bible says the same thing. Old Testament, New Testament, Paul, James, Peter, John. It all says the same thing. Hebrews 12, verses 1 and 2. Hebrews 12, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Yeshua, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. So what does Paul say? And let us lay aside the sin which so easily ensnares us. Scripture says if you resist the devil, he'll flee from you. But if you give in, he ain't leaving. If you're willing to slip into sin every time he tempts you, He's not going anywhere. But you are. And with that, we've run out of time. If we are here next Friday night, we'll pick up with Galatians chapter 3, verse 4.